Um, hello, everyone. Good morning. Um, so if you've been with us uh, the last while, you know we're um, working through Isaiah 61, focusing on um, the message of good news. I'm just, we're just going to hone in on verses 8 and 9 this morning, so I'm just going to read them here as we start. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. For descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Um, I don't know about you, about you, but I have so needed this series this last few weeks. Um, because if you don't realize, okay, and I may be speaking more to, to the uh, Northern Irish slash Irish people in the room, that uh, we tend not to embrace good news stories, okay? We are not a good news people, and we tend to focus on the bad, the worst case scenario, the worst thing that can happen. The best we can do, okay, is muster those good news stories that are kind of tagged on at the end of a news bulletin. You know the ones I'm talking about? You know, we've had all this horrible stuff going on in the world. And then it's, and finally, um, and finally, and I've just got a couple from this week, and finally, a seven-year-old who's hoping to become a motocross champion this weekend. Or finally, a pensioner achieves his PhD after 50 years. The best we can do for good news are these little trivial things, okay, that kind of lift us from sinking in the complete depression at the end of our overview of what's going on in the world. And reflecting in this kind of bad news culture we have going on, there are two things I sense in the air these days as being normalized. And the first is strife, okay, strife. Um, what is strife? Will it, will it, the kids call it hustling, right? Um, really, it's the idolization of work, the idolization of work. We're told um, that our purpose in life is to work as hard as we can, that because there's no life after this one, we've got to milk our time on earth for whatever we can get out of it. But of course, the earth has limited resources and opportunities, so whoever hustles the hardest will come out the winners. Um, Lindsay um, listens, uh, has got a habit of listening to TikTok before she goes to sleep. And there's this guy, I'm not going to mention his name in case he like sues us or something, right? But it's a Northern Irish entrepreneur. He's quite aggressive um, in his uh, motivational speaking, all right? And I'm going to read you some of his quotes. This is what I listen to before I go to sleep, right? All of us can do more. I'm not going to do his accent, right? All of the time. If you want more, you've got to do more. Okay, if you want more, you've got to do more. If you think the price of winning is too high, wait until you get the bill for regret. Okay, I get, I get up at 4 a.m. six days a week. That means in any given year, I'm already 39 days ahead of my competition who get up at seven, right? If you don't quit, you will not lose, all right? Hustling, strife, the idolization of work. I'm a youth worker and I see this. Young people are taught 
to hustle, whether it's a teenager making themselves ill with stress because they're convinced if they fail their exams or don't do exceptionally well at their exams, their life is already over, or the kids in Ballysillen where I work selling e-cigs to their mates to make a quick score, okay? Now here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with hard work in itself. But the bigger question is, what are we wanting to get out of it all in the end? What's the big win at the end? Um, this is Sisyphus, okay? There's a picture coming up, I think, okay? Um, where is he? He's maybe not coming up, all right? There is a PowerPoint there somewhere, Jamie. But um, Sisyphus, okay, if you don't know, he was a Greek king who was punished by Hades, okay, uh, for escaping death to a punishment where he had to push a boulder up a hill um, for all eternity. But when the boulder got nearly to the top, it rolled back down to the bottom again. And he had to repeat this process over and over again. And I think it's a good metaphor uh, for what's going on in our world. We think we're just about to make it. We're just about to achieve our life goal, okay? And then we come crashing back down again. We think this relationship is the one which will fix all of the broken parts of me and make me feel whole. And then we get there and we realize it doesn't. We think this government will be the government. If they get in power, then all the ills of society will be changed. And then our hearts are broken all over again. We're constantly pushing this boulder up a hill only for it to roll back down again. And that leads into the second thing I sense in the air in our bad news world. It's what I call resignation, okay? Resignation. And resignation teaches us to accept that things are just crap and there's nothing we can do with our little self to change that. We can't change the big problems. The best we can do is live a quiet life and enjoy the little things. There's a band called Yo La Tango, right? Um, they released their latest album, and it's called This Stupid World. This Stupid World. And the theme is, okay, pretty grim. It's that this world is breaking. It's almost totally broken. The best we've got in the meantime is family, time with friends, doing the things we enjoy. This attitude of resignation is reflected in Homer Simpson's advice to Bart and Lisa, when he says, kids, you tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is, never try, okay? It's reflected in philosophy, okay? Epicurus said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's even in the Bible. Solomon and Ecclesiastes says this, I did great things, built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, I bought slaves who had children, giving me even more slaves. I acquired large herds and flocks. I piled up silver and gold. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me and maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. 
Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. I looked at the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. Resignation. But it's precisely against this backdrop of strife and resignation we are to hear Isaiah's message of good news. And Isaiah's message is not a message of resignation because it says that things are really going to change. And it's not a message of strife because this work is God's work, not ours. It's a message of grace that speaks of radical reversal, which is what David's been talking about the last couple of weeks. It's a message which says the prisoners are about to be free men. The grieving are about to be comforted. The outsiders will become the insiders. Your shame will be replaced with honor. But here's the thing. The cynic in me, right? How are Isaiah's words any different from those positive news stories tagged on at the end of a news bulletin? How are they anything more than, than something positive to uplift the slaves in Babylon? Or Karl Marx would say, to distract them from the real problems going on. You know, I, I can kind of imagine an Israelite trudging home from the factory in Babylon when Isaiah comes bounding up the street singing, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to proclaim good news. And he says, well, Isaiah's clearly off in one again, right? <laughs> or maybe someone hears it. And they're caught up in initial enthusiasm, thinking, you know what? Maybe a new world really is dawning. Then they go home, and that letter they were dreading is waiting for them on the floor, confirming all their worst fears, and they say, I knew it was too good to be true. But just as we're tempted to give into our negative bias, God himself speaks in this passage. God speaks and interrupts Isaiah's song. It's as if he bursts into the room at our moment of doubt and says, all this, all this is surely going to happen, and this is why. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. You see, the good news is grounded in the character and promises and power of the living God, okay? Without the reality of God, God speaking, God acting, Isaiah could not have uttered these good news words and Jesus could not have taken them up as his mission statement. God's character and God's promises ground and secure this good news as real. And first thing, is God's character. You see, the reality of God makes the difference. And our God is a God who is passionate about justice. He's passionate about justice. It's the explanation behind this good news reversal. God cares about justice and he is going to put things right. What is about to happen, the new thing, is consistent with God's character. And God is passionate about justice. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said this, okay, instead of showing us through the elegant mansions of a mind, 
the prophets take us to the slums. To us, a single act of injustice, cheating in business, exploitation of the poor is slight. To the prophets, it is a disaster. To us, injustice is injurious to the welfare of the people. To the prophets, it is a death blow to existence. To us, an episode. To them, a catastrophe, a threat to the world. To the prophets, even a minor injustice assumes cosmic proportions. I'll read that last line again. So the prophets who are in tune with the heart of the creator and reflect that in their words and their poetry. To the prophets, even a minor injustice assumes cosmic proportions. This good news thing is going to happen because our God is passionate about justice and he will act. The second thing that secures and grounds the good news is God's promises because this God is faithful and his promises carry weight. He says, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Now, covenant is one of those weirdly used bible words, but it simply means promise or agreement or arrangement. God promises in his covenants to do something, okay, usually entirely him one-sided, but sometimes he asks the people receiving to do something in kind, okay? But it's simply a, an agreement or a promise. Behind these new things that are about to happen lies something very, very ancient. At the burning bush, God said to Moses, I will free you from being slaves and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. In the wilderness, the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God made a forever promise to rescue his people according to his justice. And that's the backbone of what Isaiah is saying. In Isaiah 60, the Lord says, You will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Or in Isaiah 63, a couple of chapters after this, Isaiah says, You, Lord, are our, our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. But here, God says, not just that he's remembering the old promise, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new arrangement with you, a new deal. And this points forward to Jesus, to the cross and beyond the cross to resurrection and kingdom come. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And you see, the promise of this new covenant goes far beyond the scope of the old one. It is eternal. It is personal. It is broad and deep enough to rescue every single individual from their past mistakes and from the future power of death, which, if we're honest, are our two deepest fears, aren't they? But we'll be defined by our past mistakes, but in the end we'll be found out and exposed for the frauds we are, okay? Or worse, but in the end, when we reach the end of this life, 
our life will mean nothing. They're our two biggest fears. But the new covenant is extremely good news because it says our past is dealt with and our future is secure. Our past is dealt with and our future is secure. Which is incredible. But it got me thinking, what about the in-between? What about right now? What about tonight? When you wake up again for what seems like the thousandth time worrying about that thing that you can't get out of your head. Or tomorrow when you're in the middle of that work project you're already so far behind on when you get another dreaded phone call from school saying, it's happened again, you need to come in. Or on your way to your next appointment and your heart just sinks. What about the in-between? Would you see God's new covenant gives us more than contentment and a sense of peace that helps us endure the way things are. That's important, significant, but it's more than that. You see, God's new covenant in Jesus restores us to our true purpose and drives us out into the world as agents of hope and transformation. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at what Jesus accomplished, okay, how he answered the call of Isaiah 61, He didn't just save us from our past and the cross and save us for future in heaven through the resurrection. There's all the in-between bit of Jesus' life, which is part of this as well. And you see, Paul was fond of talking about Jesus as a second Adam, okay? What he meant was this. The first Adam from Adam and Eve, okay, messed things up as the first human. And all Adam's children um, went the same way, us included, Okay, but this second Adam, this second chance human being, this Jesus, he came to show and teach us what it means to be genuinely human again. He came not to make us more religious, which is kind of what people assume. Nah, Jesus came to make us more human. And that's why the idea of discipleship, of following Jesus, is so important. You see, this new covenant is a way of renewed living as human beings in the middle of this still broken world. So as we follow Jesus, no matter what we are going through, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in the middle of, he is with us. He is with us as our friend and our guide and our savior. Um. The focus in the Lectio app this week, if you're following it, is pilgrimage. The idea of being on a journey uh, with God towards our our destination. Um, You see, we live out our best purpose by following Jesus. By going with him. By doing what he asks of us. This is just as much part and parcel of the good news as forgiveness of sins and heaven to come. And you know, as children of God, okay, which is what I'm talking about here, um, we are to carry a family resemblance of, of our Heavenly Father. So in the same way that our God is passionate about justice, 
we, as we follow Jesus, should become more passionate about justice and should enact justice in our lives in a way that reflects the life of Jesus. We should do justice in a small way, in our personal relationships, in our big way, and what we care about and seek change for in our society and in the world, in a way that reflects the character of Jesus, the Jesus we follow, but is true to who God has made us uniquely to be. The same way our God, our Heavenly Father, is faithful and all his dealings with people, we are to be a people known by our faithfulness, by our commitment, by our going the extra mile. So we have God's justice, and we have God's promise, the new covenant. Um, there's two things as we close, okay? And the first has to do with this theme of justice. Um, I just want to say to us this morning, very often in church we're good at at talking about how we are doers of sin, all right? Just true. Um, but the other side of that coin is each of us is also a victim of sin to a different extent. And that is why one of our heart's deepest desires, um, one of the things our, our life is crying out for is justice, the righting of wrongs, not resignation. We know that resignation is wrong, Okay which is why we're never satisfied when we give in to that simple, quiet life. We care about the righting of wrongs. And I think there is a reminder for us this morning that our God is a God of justice. And there will be a day when no one will be left in doubt that God is good and that justice has been served. But what about the in-between? What I want to say to us this morning is we are called to be a people who will act to put right the wrongs of this world with every resource the Lord gives us, which might be a leftover coat that we're not using, but we take the be given the people who are victims of this earthquake. Or it might be the ability to speak about something in an articulate way that changes someone's opinion. We are called to be a people who will act to put right the wrongs of this world. And I hope Right As you come to church here with us in Central, you will already experience a small part of, of, of heaven, okay? A foretaste of a world put to rights where justice abides. Um, I can tell you this, when I was going through last, this time last year, I was going through a really difficult time, mental health-wise, um, I loved coming to church, Okay. It was the thing I looked forward to the most because as I came here to worship, as I came here to be with my church family, it was like this as a reminder that there is more to come. Um, my prayer is that as we grow as a church, we will be a community that embodies true reconciliation and justice. That to an outsider looking in at our life, okay, our life together will make no sense no sense except that the justice-loving God we worship exists and is here and working among us. So there's justice, okay? There's encouragement for people who are victims of injustice. And there's a challenge for us to rise to the call to reflect the heart of our Father in small and big ways. And the second thing is to do with purpose. Um, maybe you feel trapped, like so many of us do, by the, by the need to work yourself half to death, okay? I want to say to each of us this morning that our lives serve a bigger purpose than that. You were made for more than work, okay? 
And actually some of the smallest things we cultivate and do in our lives can be the most significant eternally. Things like being a better friend, things like becoming more generous, the things that our society doesn't traditionally put a huge value on because it doesn't um, improve or grow the economy, right? Being a better friend does not grow the economy, right? I can tell you this, eternally, it has so much more significance. And actually, those small things which we undervalue can be the hardest things to do well and do consistently. Um, I don't know if you've seen the news this morning, but uh, former president Jimmy Carter um, is receiving hospice care. He's 98 years old, but he's a bit of a hero of mine. When he was um, 17, he began teaching a Sunday school class um, in his family church in Plains, Georgia. Um, He only stopped teaching that class um, three years ago when he was 95 years old, okay? There was someone former president, all this influence, okay, could have any platform in the world, but invest it in that small thing, that Sunday school class, okay, in his church every week for all those years. The small things are significant. Um, and actually are more defining of our purpose than the things we, we are told are really important. Or maybe you're so caught up in the here and now, right, the busyness of this world, whether that's work or being dissatisfied with the way our society is, but you just need reminded this morning that there is future life beyond this world, okay? That life after death, okay, is a genuine hope of people who follow Jesus. But Jesus has definitively rescued us from our past mistakes and secured our future. Again, I just want to read... um, Again, I saw this this morning. It was a quote from one of the last Sunday school classes that Jimmy Carter taught, okay, after he'd received um, a diagnosis. And he said this, I obviously prayed about it. I didn't ask God to let me live, but I just asked God to give me a proper attitude toward death. And I found that I was absolutely and completely at ease with death. It didn't really matter to me whether I lived or died. I have, since that time, been absolutely confident that my Christian faith includes complete confidence in life after death. So I'm going to live again after I die. I don't know what form I'll take or anything like that, but I will live again, okay? And it's that security of our future, okay, that frees us up to live well in the here and now, whatever our circumstances. We have a future, Jesus is with us, and our past is dealt with. And that allows us to live our true purpose in the best of times and in the worst of times.